Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Why is talking about race something Jews should be doing within the Jewish community? With such limited time in Hebrew school? And how? Jen and I speak with Benny Witkowski, a PhD candidate in the Department of Sociology at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, otherwise known as my brother-in-law, about how to talk about race. Talking about this will inherently make people feel uncomfortable. So let's get uncomfortable. How We Talk About is a professional development podcast for educators who are teaching Jewish things in Jewish schools. We're your hosts, Erin Beezer and Jen Stern-Granowitz, Jewish educators from New York City. Okay, Jen, we are going to try to do this without offending people. We probably will. But I feel like this is such an important topic. We have to risk it and give those of us who are listening, a safe space to wonder out loud and ask questions. Because in case you haven't noticed, this topic is hugely important and being widely discussed in all corners of American discourse today. So Jen, how do you relate to the topic of race? Well, I'll just affirm what you said, Aaron, that it is a really important topic and um, a little we're just going to, like you said, we're going to go for it. We might make ourselves uncomfortable, our listeners uncomfortable. So in terms of how I relate the topic of race personally, I identify as Jewish rather than white. I think for a variety of reasons, I'll kind of distill them down. I think most importantly and notably for me, my family predominantly came to this country after World War II and after the Holocaust. And so while I'm very much aware that I pass as white, I look white, I definitely feel more Jewish than American. I think because I associate being white with kind of being part of mainstream American Christian culture. Um, and I'm, you know, as I said, associate more with being Jewish. So I also don't love checking like the white box when asked about my race, but when I look at the other options, you know, I'm not black, I'm not Hispanic. Other feels like very complex like for me to go into this whole diatribe about being Jewish over white. So I check white when asked and, you know, look white, but I definitely, that's not necessarily how I identify myself. Yeah, I think that's a very common narrative that white Jewish people have, myself included, that Jews came to this country and, you know, many came from Eastern Europe and they weren't initially accepted into mainstream American society and they faced a tremendous amount of oppression and prejudice. And then ultimately, many of us are, you know, an American success story. You might argue because of the color of our skin, we were able to integrate successfully into American society. And you and I, today, we serve predominantly white Jewish communities who possess a tremendous amount of privilege. And so the question for us and our educators is, should we talk about race? You know, personally, I don't know a lot of people of color and I didn't have a lot of people of color in my Rolodex to reach out to comfortably. And we didn't want to tokenize someone to have this conversation and put the burden on them uh, to educate a predominantly white Jewish audience. And so 
I think ultimately you and I decided that the burden is on us as white Jewish educators to talk and to educate our own communities about race. And it feels like if you're not actively trying to solve the problem of racial justice, then you're part of the problem. And so to ignore the conversation is to be part of the problem. And I think we can all agree that none of us want to be part of the problem. So I had to find someone that I couldn't offend or who would tell me directly if I offended them. So I had to stay within my own family by marriage. And we're going to create a brave space to have an uncomfortable conversation because it's our privilege to opt out of these conversations when those who are Black and people of color in general cannot opt out. They have to have a conversation about race. And so it's my pleasure to introduce my brother-in-law, Benny Witkowski, who is a PhD candidate in the Department of Sociology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, who has regularly taught undergraduate classes on race, protest movements, and politics in the United States. But more importantly, he is the middle school Kadima youth advisor for Beth Israel Center in Madison. Welcome to the show, Benny Witkowski. We're so happy you're here. Thanks so much for having me. So our first question is really the question. Why should we talk about race in the Jewish community? I think it won't surprise you to know that I think the answer is clearly that we have to talk about race in the Jewish community. And I think about this in a few different ways. I think the way you said in your introduction that, you know, if we're not actively addressing the problem, we risk being a part of the problem is really important. And I think that the easy answer for Jews, the one that we're probably most comfortable with, that talking about race is part of Jewish values, right? That we have these values like about, about justice, about equality, about inclusion, born out of kind of scripture, born out of the Torah and the Talmud, and born out of our own historical experiences, and that we're not living up to those values if we're not addressing race. That's the easy answer, and I think it's a good answer. The other piece of it is about sort of understanding our own role in race and racism in America today. I really appreciate, Jen, your, your point in your introduction about sort of feeling uncomfortable identifying as white. And I think that that points to a really important reason why we need to talk about race in the Jewish community is, is how do we help our students? How do we help our communities grapple with the, the, the very contradictory racial position that Jews in America inhabit today? Because I'm someone who will say we are white or the vast majority of Jews are white. And for a lot of reasons, it's important for us to be more open to that and more aware of that. At the same time, we need to grapple with what that means given our experiences of exclusion and inequality in the past, given the, the violence that we're sort of, we're reluctant to move past because it has been so important to our community. And the Jewish community itself is growing and diversifying. And so that's the other piece of kind of not only grappling with the most Jews whiteness, but also kind of how do we build inclusive and diverse institutions themselves. How do you recommend that we teach about this, this being talk about race, specifically in a Jewish environment, right? What is the kind of right language? What's the right angle. I think there's useful and important elements to acknowledging, you know, for example, the Holocaust is our story as Jews. I think it brings a lot of understanding and empathy. And I also think it's, it's not the same 
you know, we could be something we can go into. It's not the same as talking about, you know, racial injustice in America right now. So how do you recommend to educators, to parents, to people who find themselves in these important and difficult and sometimes uncomfortable conversations, like how to talk and teach about this? So I would say to kind of go back to your point about the Holocaust and, and thinking about the fact that the Jewish experience in America and the Jewish experience more broadly is one that is simultaneously a lot of precarity, a lot of being oppressed, being attacked, being treated unequally, and one of a lot of privilege, right? We are a community that for a lot of reasons today has a lot of privilege, a lot of the same benefits that come from being basically white. One of the really important things I think in teaching about race in America is for us to engage both of those histories, right? Is for us to use the history of the Holocaust, use the history of discrimination and oppression in the United States to teach our students about how these processes unfold, how it happens that we dehumanize another group of people, we justify violence against them, we justify inequality against them, and also do not shy away from the fact that we're a community of privilege today and a community that needs to grapple with what it means to be privileged today and how our own privilege today might be reinforcing the inequality and the violence against other people in America today. I think we need to be able to have both of those conversations at once. And my feeling is generally we're pretty comfortable with that first conversation. It's a hard conversation. It's a difficult conversation, but it fits our politics. It fits our self-conception in a way that is, I think, much smoother than the conversation about what it means to be Jews with some amount of, of privilege today. I'll just speak personally for a second. I think we grew up in a time when it was thought that it would be better not to notice and talk about race. We don't have language to talk about race because we were raised in an atmosphere of colorblindness. And so my question for you is, is it better if we don't notice or talk about race? Isn't that the goal? How do we re-educate and reparent ourselves when we didn't have that language growing up? It's a really important point. And there's sort of two things I talk about in my classes that are the flip side of each other, I think. One is the kind of colorblind approach to race that you're talking about, which sort of is very, very common in the post-civil rights era of us thinking like the problem with the Jim Crow South was that too much attention was paid to race. And now that we've passed that, we can stop talking about race. And that's, so that's one version of it. And I think the reason why we want to be really careful about it is because it puts the burden on people of color to remind us about race. If, if we believe that the ultimate goal is that we're not talking about race and not thinking about race, then every time a black person talks about the particular experiences of black people or a Latinx person talks about the particular experiences of Latinx people, it's them bringing up race. It's them making things about race. And that's not really fair. The other reason why we have to be cautious about it is because it can overlook the ways that our society is still really governed by race. There's a famous sociologist named Eduardo Bonilla Silva who talks about colorblind racism. And we live in a world today dominated by colorblind racism, where our laws and our institutions and our policies don't explicitly talk about race, but they treat people differently all the time based on race, or their impact is that people are treated differently. And so if we live in a colorblind world, if we pretend that it's colorblind, will miss a lot of that. The other flip side of this in, that I think we were raised in was the, the kind of 90s, I call it the like potluck version of race. The vision of racial diversity 
that is like, we all have unique and fun cultures and we can all come together for like an international culture night and bring dishes from our own culture and do dances from our own culture and everyone is treated equally in this space and isn't that wonderful and great. There's a lot of beauty to that. There's a lot of fun to that. I don't know that we need to demean that, but it's, it's a way of talking about racial diversity without talking about structures of discrimination and racism. And so I worry that if that is the way we address race, purely in a sort of cultural diversity lens, we miss so much about the, what's really happening in America today. Are you saying that those potluck dinners become more about hearts and minds of expanding my own views of how I feel about people who are different than me and less about structures that are so foundational to the core of American society that they're beyond any one person's opinion about people who are different than them. They're beyond prejudice. They're just foundational to the way that the system was set up and continue to operate apart from how we really feel about them. Is that kind of what you're saying? Maybe it's an age thing, right? Maybe just getting used to the fact that some people are different and some people have different food and different clothes and, and different experiences is good enough in early grades. But you have to then make the transition. You have to make the transition to talking about these kind of long-standing inequalities, long-standing conflicts. The other thing to be really careful about with the sort of racist diversity lens, it's much harder to engage the experiences of African-Americans in that kind of story because so much of their specific historical culture and diversity was robbed of them in slavery and segregation. And so I think that part of what happens in, the in that kind of like 90s race culture, and I see this in people I know, people, my friends, my family, is it becomes much, much easier to talk about people in other countries and to engage in racial, with racial minorities in other countries than to engage in racial, with racial minorities in our own neighborhoods, in our own communities. How do we think about how to talk about race in a predominantly white Jewish setting where there might not be um, you know, a black person, a Hispanic student, uh, like it might feel if you, upon looking at the classroom, it looks like everyone's quote unquote, the same. They're obviously, as I said, they're not the same, but how do we think about talking about race when we're in an, a more homogeneous, like Jewish white environment? We do want to recognize that not everyone in the Jewish community is white, that there are people of color, there are Sephardic Jews, there are Middle Eastern Jews, but we also need to recognize that the vast majority of American Jews are white. Right. That the data that I was looking at before this conversation is like from 2016, 2017, 89% of Jews identify as white. We need to, we do need to kind of recognize that when we are in a Jewish space, we are going to be in a predominantly white space. But within a white community or a white space, I actually think that Jewish identity gives us a lot of tools to think about how race works. Race is both physical and it's not physical. Right. So what about your Jewish identity is expressed in your physical traits? and what is expressed in traits that are not physical. Race is both controlled by an individual and forced onto an individual from, uh, by other people. The language that sociologists use is they talk about race being something that is both marked by others and made by an individual. And so what aspects of your Jewish identity do you control and do you get to present on your own terms the way you want to? And what aspects of your Jewish identity are other people forcing on you at, all, at, at, at different times? Race is, broad and global, but it's also geographically and locally specific. So are there times and places where you feel your Jewish identity more concretely? And are there times and places where you, you feel your Jewish identity less? And so I think Jewish identity is a really great window into that question because of the way that we do simultaneously blend into whiteness and 
have these unique aspects that bring us out of kind of white America and white culture. How is your experience as a Jewish American going to be similar or different to the experiences of other white Americans or similar or different to the experiences of black Americans or Latinx Americans? And this is obviously a generalizing conversation. There's a lot of nuance that's gonna get missed in this, but I think it's a really good way to get students to start thinking about how racial identity works. I have overheard my students in classrooms at JCP say a variety of things that I think we would want to help reframe, redirect, and give them better language on how to talk about race. And so is that all right with you, Benny, if I read a couple of these things and you give a response as an educator that you might use in that moment? Okay, reverse racism. Yeah, so reverse racism, this is one I get in college all the time. For the most part, when you're dealing with kids and they bring up a concept like reverse racism, you can assume that they're not intentionally being jerks about it, right? I think if you talk to an adult who's talking about reverse racism, that's a different question. Talking to a kid about it, they're, they're talking about experiences that they, they have heard about, they've learned about, terms they've heard from their families. And I think it's really important for us to distinguish. So personal racism is the kind of racism that Jews I think are still pretty familiar with, which is the kind of ignorance, negative language, stereotyping. And that is a type of racism that everyone can experience. There may be some situations where white people feel like they are being mistreated by black people, by people of color in an individual sort of way. But that's usually not what people mean by reverse racism. Usually they are talking about what we call structural racism which is the large scale systems in American society that privilege some people and disadvantage other people. There are basically no systems in America today that are actually privileging people of color at the expense of white people. People may feel attempts to equalize systems, things like affirmative action, things like targeted loans to black businesses, right? They may feel attempts to equalize systems as a form of loss and as a form of reverse racism, but I think the most important things for us as educators is to provide that larger context and to say that, you know, the large systems are still not, are still functioning in a way they're privileging white people and disadvantaging people of color. And so I think if someone brings up reverse racism in the class, I always try and say, which type of, which of those types of racism are you talking about? And then how do we broaden that scope of understanding? away from individual experiences because so many people are walking around with stories about the job that they didn't get or the college that they didn't get into and they have told themselves that the, that was a product of affirmative action and that was a product of racism. What if someone is saying something that is like a positive stereotype of a particular ethnic group? Yeah, this is another tricky one. And this is maybe one that comes up in younger grades too. There are these positive stereotypes that we have. And then there, I think it's an interesting there is to think about what are the positive stereotypes about Jews? The obvious one is that Jews are rich, that Jews are wealthy, is a stereotype that on its face is a positive stereotype, right? It's the saying like there's most Jews have this good positive experience, but we all know the dangers of that stereotype, right? We all know that that stereotype that Jews are wealthy is connected to a whole set of beliefs about Jews being untrustworthy, about Jews having a conspiracy to control the banks, about a whole set of beliefs that cause real serious harm to Jews. And I think that it's important for us to think about how those other kinds of positive stereotypes or quote unquote positive stereotypes also cause harm to people. There's a lot of good psychological evidence out there that shows that when you force a positive stereotype on a community, 
and does real psychological harm to people who don't live up to it. Can you ha also help us understand this idea of a microaggression? What do we do about them if we see one or hear one? You know, it's one of those things that's a really simple idea that has gotten kind of blown out of proportion by, I think, a lot of critics of the idea who think it's going too far. But the basic idea of a microaggression is that the sort of small everyday ways that we treat each other and the small everyday ways that we interact with each other can have real damaging effects on people. If you are teaching younger kids and you are always calling on boys first instead of calling on girls first, that's a form of a microaggression. You're not necessarily obviously discriminating against people. You're not necessarily obviously causing harm to people, but that's gonna put a story into girls' minds about who has the right to speak, who should be raising their hands, who should be talking. And so microaggressions around race operate in the same way. It's just these very subtle, very small ways that we treat people differently. And then I think if you're in an all white space, you may see less microaggressions and more just small ways that students are talking about race in ways that are not great. And you just need to think about what the best way to intervene is. Do they just not understand? Can you just explain to them? This is the kind of the, the broader story, the history, the broader impact of that kind of language. I deal with this in class a lot when I have a student who says something that I think is a little off, but I don't wanna like call them out in front of everyone, is just sort of re like restate the question, restate the comment, using what you think is sort of more appropriate language or better, a better framing of the question. Um, and then I think you just have to be cautious about when you're dealing with a student who has learned that this is a way to get attention, right? That has learned that this is a way to act out and get attention and how you sort of don't reinforce that, but also don't kind of allow it um, is a really difficult question. If we're doing this as a one-time conversation or a one-time like day of learning, yes, there's, there is merit and value to that, but that there's more, I think, merit and value to a holistic approach of having those conversations of diversity and inclusion and race be part of the everyday of the institution of learning and not just a one-time we'll swoop in and we'll make this one situation better because, you know, one child said way one comment, but rather that it sort of permeates the culture of the institution in a positive way. Also, can we agree that we're done teaching about Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel and Dr. Martin Luther King? Can we just say that if we have to go so far back to the 1960s to find one example of a white rabbi marching with a black leader, that we have as a community have done nothing in the last 50 years to contribute to that narrative of what it means to support civil rights and support the African-American community? Can we all just like right now as Hebrew school directors and Jewish educators just like commit? If you're going to teach that story, you also need to teach something else, just like anything else. Benny, I think this brings us to our last question. What is the work that Jewish communities need to do in this area? Help us, please. I am all on board with the, I don't know, moratorium on talking about Abraham Joshua Heschel, Martin Luther King is maybe too strong. Really, to that point, I think the most important thing about that question is what do we do with that history? The same way that we have to ask the question of what do we do with the history of the Holocaust? What do we do with the memory of the Holocaust? How do we motivate it to today's moment? How do we mobilize and motivate that memory of Jewish support for the civil rights movement today? Because if our answer is, and it is all too often the answer, that we were there in the 1960s because the 1960s was somehow different from today, and because the civil rights movement was somehow different from the movements that we see today, 
and we can use our experience in supporting the civil rights movement, supporting Martin Luther King, supporting Heschel to justify not being there for Black Lives Matter. It's a real risk. We see this time and time again of people saying, back in my day, we did it differently and we did it better. And so what are you doing today? And I think that we just need to be, we need to be careful about that. And we need to sort of be there in, in spirit and in, and in support when people are, are protesting today. And I think a lot of Jews are, a lot of rabbis, a lot of Jewish communities are out there protesting, marching for Black Lives Matter, engaging in these issues. It is really, really hard to build relationships in a crisis. Before I went back to grad school, I worked in interfaith politics and interfaith organizing. First time you call the Black preacher in your neighborhood cannot be in the wake of a Black Lives Matter protest or in the wake of a police shooting. The reason why we do interfaith work is to build these relationships in good times so that when there are bad times, when there are moments when we need to mobilize and need to activate, we have those relationships already in place. The work you can be doing today is building those relationships so that they can be used in the future. My personal approach is to just have a little bit of patience and a little bit of detachment is maybe too strong a word, but a little bit of detachment from the way that communities of color and activists of color talk about Israel. I think it's a real shame if we use things like the Movement for Black Lives Matters platform on Israel as an excuse to not participate. Because let's be, let's be honest, right? Whatever activists in America say about Israel is much less important and much less impactful than the work they are doing to address policing and racial inequality and criminal justice reform in America today. That, that's what they're, that is what they are going to have an impact on. I don't think Black Lives Matter is going to change American policy on Israel. And so I, my encouragement to Jews is always to just be like, you don't have to agree with them. I think it's good to take a step back and be like, can we learn from the position that a lot of communities of color and a lot of activists of color have adopted toward Israel? Can we learn from them? I think is a really important question. But if you're not there yet, I think just being willing to still show up and still participate even when the politics of these communities on Israel makes you uncomfortable, I think is really important. Because if we demand that every activist group adopts our approach to Israel, first of all, we don't have an approach to Israel because we're Jews. And so we have a million different approaches to Israel. And so what, what approach are we asking for? And that's like, and if we demand that as a precondition, I think we'll, we will never be a part of the, that coalition again. We'll never be a part of the civil rights coalition again. And I think that that's really critical. Jen, what are your takeaways? All right, I'll share, I'll share a few that are percolating now, which are, I really liked the way you phrased, like that race has the physical traits and then the non-physical traits. Myself, where I think about my whiteness and my Jewishness and thinking about other, you know, being black in America and sort of how that, you know, there's the physical and the physical, the not physical marked by others and made, made by an individual. I think are like really useful ways to think about race um, and I really like the way you frame this, that it's difficult to make these relationships in a crisis. And that's important to have the relationships um, before. So that if and when there is a crisis, you can genuinely turn to someone, turn to you know, a friend, a colleague, you know, the, an interfaith institution, as opposed to just, oh no, this, you know, this catastrophe happened. Now I want to reach out. Erin, it's your turn to share. Benny, I think you answered our question that we should talk about race in the Jewish community. 
um, that it is our job. We need to be part of the solution because we have these Jewish values of a commitment to justice. Zedek, Zedek, Tirdof, right? It says it in the Torah. And to talk about justice in America is to talk about race. And our primary role as educators is to prepare our learners to be in the world. Our primary role as parents is to prepare our children to be in the world. And so to think about our place in this larger context of, of racial inequality means that we have to prepare them to participate. And to not prepare them is to both contribute to the perpetuation of the problem, but also to not fully equip them to what it means to be a part of the next phase of the American project. And I think they'll miss out because I think that that's what this country is going to become and become about. What do we do with our history? What do we do with our story as Jews is the lasting question for us. So thank you. Thank you so much. We want to hear from you. If you're planning a lesson or there's something that's on your mind, tell us about it. We want this podcast to be useful to you, our fellow educators. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah,